<laughs> Minnesota Twins, yeah. Minneapolis, the best of all the Appalaches. Gave the world Prince, Mitch Hedberg, Maria Bamford. Acme Comedy Club, one of the best in the country, yeah. <laughs> We're so nice here in Minnesota. That's bullshit. We're not nice. No? No. We're nice to your face. And then bad multi I was back. like the Prince quote. He said that he like people said, why didn't you move to L.A. or New York? And he said uh, he likes Minnesota because the cold weather keeps the mean people away. No, it keeps the streets clean in the winter. I mean, not, I mean, not clean, but, uh, you know, the riffraff stays off the streets in the winter. That's about the All right, so you're here. coming straight from the from the Target field. Yeah. Hey, l- big... I should do an introduction here. Okay, I think. Yeah. sure. Uh, this is No Laugh Track. My guest is Tom Rhodes. My name is Justin Severson. This is some guerrilla podcasting here. I just got in the door about... Yeah, exactly. Stop throwing poop. That's not appropriate. I uh, just walked in because I was working someplace else at the ball game. At the Minnesota Twins, and you're a big Twins fan. So, um, whatever happened to Rob Wilfong? <laughs> Rob Wilfong. <laughs> Award-winning mustache on Rod, Rob Wilfong. He used to smoke in the dugout. I, I don't I don't know. Back in the 80s, man, they would have... And I'm from Orlando. We had the spring training there. Yeah. And you could see all the guys. My favorite player was uh, uh, Rick Sofield. Yeah, was it Sofield or Schofield? Sofield. Was it Sofield? No C. Okay, yeah, Sofield. He only played like two seasons, but he was a really good-looking kid. He was a handsome devil. Feathered hair. Yeah. Uh, I think he batted like 118. That sounds about right. <laughs> you know what? I don't even remember it's, ever seeing him play. I just... He should have changed his name to uh, Rick Whiffield. <laughs> I don't, the only time I remember seeing him is in a yearbook. So think, oh really? Yeah. Well, you went to his high school? <laughs> no, in the, in the you know the twins year. Oh, in the twins thing. Yeah, yeah, and you had uh, Roy Smalley back then, and yeah, he still has fantastic hair, by the way. Does he really? Yeah, he still works here locally, doing some. Uh, and uh, I remember there was a guy that played for the Orlando Twins because I I love baseball. I used to go see the Twins spring training and then the Orlando Twins Double A ball, and they had a guy he never moved up. I guess or maybe he played in the in the bigs for a little bit. But uh, Mark Funderburk. Oh yeah! And it was great when he would come up to the to the to the bat. The announcer would go, "Mark Funderburk." Nice, like, perfect name for uh, elongating the syllables. Absolutely. I don't know if he ever did. I don't know. Bing it. Google it. Bing it, baby. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know, but I do know that name. I do know that name. So, welcome to Minneapolis. Thanks, friend. Yeah, you were uh, did a show last night. Yeah. Fact. Fact or fiction? You blistering, did yeah. You know, once you get you get you, you once you get on stage here, it's like, oh yeah, this is why this is one of the best clubs in America. Yeah, yeah. This you've is why com- I keep coming back. You've been coming again. here for many years, correct? I think since uh, about the time they started. I mean, I think what they opened in ninety one. First time I might have played here was maybe ninety two or ninety three. Yeah, yeah. As a headliner or just walking up? As there? a headliner, yeah. As a headliner, nice, mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And you did you start comedy in Orlando? I did indeed. Yeah. What's the comedy scene in Florida? Uh, it's uh, now there's. I mean, Orlando had one club at the time. Yeah. It was the Funny Farm, and they changed its name to the Copa Banana shortly there afterwards. And um, <laughs> I I love hearing the names of other of comedy, comedy clubs. clubs. Yeah. There's a there was a great. I don't think it's there anymore. But in uh, East Ealing, London, there's a club called Ha Bloody Ha. Oh boy. 
Doesn't it sound like that would be a tough audience? Yeah. Ha, bloody ha. <laughs> bah, humbug. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. But, yeah, and then uh, Orlando, now there's a bonkers and an improv. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you live now? I live in these shoes. I just travel all the time. Sweet. And I don't play Florida that much. I do the improvs in South Florida. Mm-hmm. I do McCurdy's in Sarasota. Great room. Um, I'll be at the improv in Orlando the week before Christmas. There you go. Um, With all the vacationers. Did you ever work at Disney World? I did not, but my brother and my sister did. What did they do? Uh, my brother worked in a hamburger place um, in, what is it, not Fantasyland. It was like Peter Pan's hamburger something. It's right next to the teacups. Sure, I think everything and, is. Uh, and then my sister drove the monorail. Nice. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a bad gig. And my brother, when he worked at Disney, I was like 14, and in the summer I would drive to work with him and I'd get in free. And I, every day I would ride one ride over and over and over and over. Why just, do that? Just to like spend the day riding one ride. One ride. Yeah. Just <laughs> By really, yourself? Yeah. Why not? And then sometimes you talk to some cute girls and sure. ride it with them. And then how, how old were you when you were doing 14? that? 14. Yeah. Probably. Did you ever sneak some girls in there with you? And I what? Sneak some girls in there with you? Into where? Into Disney World. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. No. And then we had grad night in high, high school yeah. where they would have concerts there. Yeah. So you're a big inter- international superstar, Tom. Let's get down. Okay, to that. sure. Right. I remember you were on the morning show once, and we discussed. Uh, you had a TV show in Amsterdam. That one in Amsterdam. Yeah, late yeah. night talk show. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was like the David Letterman. How did that ever happen? <clears throat> uh, I was living over there, and I'd moved there for a girl, and uh, we broke up. And I mean, I was playing in half the time in Europe. There's great gigs all over London, yeah. especially. And um, I was about to move back to the United States. I had broken up. This girl had broken up with me. And uh, these people saw me in a comedy club, Tumler, in Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And they were looking for an American to host an American-style late-night talk show. And uh, they had an audition, and uh, I got the job. Was there a show like that already, or was this like a... No, they had tried someone? Dutch people, but I think they thought they were too stiff or something. They, It was like a, it was a novelty idea. And that's a lot of Dutch television. They'll try experimental stuff, you know. The most popular show in Holland right now is Who Wants to Marry a Farmer? Really? One of the guys that was the producer on my late night talk show is the producer on this show. And for the last five years, it's been the most popular. You should get that going in Minnesota. I think that'd be really hot. <laughs> Everyone's uh, already married to a farmer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's like really popular. And it's like, who wants to? And they show the farmer guy, and he's got the women to choose from. And How are they selling farmers? Is it, not, I, I, my family, my mom came from a farming family, so I'm not disparaging farmers. But how are they pitching these guys? It's I, so I think it's, it's, a, it's the ultimate sign of innocence, maybe, that... Um, of like, and especially the, the the Dutch are so into like dairy farming and sure. um, uh, a lot of landscape paintings from you know the golden period. There's always cows <laughs> in the field. They're very much about the cow and farmers. So I think it's this romantic image of the farmer. I can see that. You know that would work here. What kind of guests did you have on a uh, talk show? And mostly Dutch celebrities, actors. Is there uh, anyone I would have heard? I'd- that's big here as well as there. Um, probably not. Probably not. No. 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 Uh, but we had some Dutch politicians on, uh, artists, and uh, and then we had a few Americans. Uh, English musicians would come over. 
Sometimes yeah. I had Steve O from Jackass was on. <laughs> he stapled his scrotum to his leg, and on you know Dutch what? television you could show that kind of thing. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't. He's done that so many times now. There's just like some holes there. He just kind of pokes. Yeah, it's got to be perforated now, don't you think? Right? You I know, mean, like you could, he could probably he could probably peel his sack off like a piece of loose leaf news, <laughs> notebook paper. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a, yeah, one of those staple removers connected. His to manager belt. told our the Dutch crew because uh, he he asked for a stapler and then he did it. And then after the taping, his manager said, "If he has touched anything." Burn it. Burn it. <laughs> yeah. I don't doubt like that. Like that he was so disease-ridden yeah, or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting your own manager would say that. Uh, yeah, well, I guess he would know best, wouldn't he? Jack Black was on. Uh, what was the, he doing back then? Tenacious D had just come out with, uh, and it wasn't. I don't think it was their first album, maybe their second one. I'm not sure of the timeline, but him and Kyle... KG? KG? JB and KG? Yeah, they came over. They were doing a show at the Paradiso. They were... It was, I don't know, their first European tour or something. Yeah. And I knew the guy. I knew when... I knew Tenacious D when they were starting out in L.A. Yeah. And, you know, comedy is a really small community. Sure. So I've known Jack forever. And from comedy gigs in L.A., alternative rooms and stuff. Yeah. And I got to give them a tour of Amsterdam. Well, that's pretty cool. So we smoked weed. I was just going to we say, let's the, get down. Come we on. went to the Heineken. It's on YouTube. Yeah, if you if you, um, if you just type in Tom Rhodes, Tenacious D, it'll pop up. I'm going to do that tonight. Or Tenacious D, Amsterdam, maybe. And it's a, it's a good little clip. It's a good little clip. So do, uh, Okay, so... Uh Every you know everybody answer. I, do I even need to ask the questions? Answer the questions I'm going to ask about Amsterdam. Did you get high constantly? Yes. Yes. <laughs> How awesome is that to do it? It's legally? not really because no? you move there and your Dutch girlfriend doesn't want you to be high all the time. What the fuck is that? And then when you have a job, what? your Dutch employer doesn't want you to be high all the time. So I had to learn really quick. Uh, I mean, it's just it's the the, the Dutch. Culture, people think it's this real hedonistic society, and it's not whatsoever. It's a very Calvinistic, uh, Christian uh, mentality they have there. They believe in partying, but only after you've worked a 16-hour day. <laughs> and uh, most Dutch people don't... They, they, they think people who smoke marijuana are, are immature. Really? You think you're either a teenager or a tourist yeah, okay. if you smoke weed. And then if you're smoking weed past the age of 30, you're kind of branded as immature. Oh. Um, and then, not that, you know, I've been to friends' houses at dinner parties in Amsterdam where somebody would pull out a hash joint afterwards when you're, because, you know, Europeans sit at the table for hours and talk. And sure. that's a nice little conversation enhancer. But Absolutely. I think for, for the most part, like Dutch people, uh, they, they don't think smoking weed is cool. And children are taught that. And then also with the prostitution, like your average Dutch person, if you saw your colleague or someone you knew going to the prostitutes, it would be very frowned upon. I suppose. I remember when I lived in Amsterdam once I saw a uh, elementary school class on a field trip walking through the red light district and the teacher was explaining the sex industry to them. Just matter of factly? Yeah, because yeah. they didn't want the, the they don't want the children to grow up to be prostitutes and that you know that this is kind of a pathetic way to conduct your life to earn money or or just the whole um unsavory business aspect of it that some people are um 
you know, maybe brought there against their own will. Sure, it's, sure. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, the, the Dutch are very honest people. And that's uh, what they're known for is brute honesty. They'll just tell you, you know, exactly. I don't like that shirt. Yeah. You know, I don't, they don't. Dutch people don't have a filter. And Did you I, like that? Uh, not always. You know, there is a real charm to, you know, the American politeness, but also it hinders us from opening up a lot and being yeah, honest yeah. with yeah. people. Because they, uh, I heard it said in Holland that uh, Americans are too polite to tell you how they really feel about things. And then, like, people working in the business world with Americans thought that they would only give their honest opinion after they realized what it, it was safe to uh that they wouldn't you know yeah i got you be yeah. in jeopardy for yeah. having an opinion oh that's interesting how did you uh, so tell the truth america yeah no kidding even if it hurts <laughs> did you uh we're gonna pretend that your wife isn't sitting here okay or any uh ex-girlfriends listening or anything or the the one that didn't want you to smoke weed right. did you ever visit the uh red light isn't it called the red light dis- district yeah correct? well i mean it's 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 in the center of the city and a lot of Dutch people find it a very desirable place to live, just because of its central location. Okay. Um, and was there and first? and then <laughs> it's like Amsterdam is with the canals. It's shaped like half a pizza, and so mm-hmm. you got the the slices you can go through, and then the canals are like the rings. Oh, you I know. got you. And then right in the middle is the- uh, or a big half a wedge of cheese. However you want to sure. look at it. Um, so you're always walking through there or riding your bicycle through there. I moved there for a, a, a great love story, and I was with this girl for a f- few years. And then uh, we broke up, and I was there. And, um, you know, you're, I was heartbroken. I was lonely, and I was drunk. And uh, I paid a visit and uh, couldn't get my dick hard. No. And so now, not only am I lonely, heartbroken, and sad, I'm out of fucking money and embarrassed. So, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) (laughs) You you didn't try to use a credit card and then get your money back? (laughs) No. No, and then... Doesn't then, cover that? But then I I had a really great life there because I was on television, so, like, uh, I was dating, like, actresses and Ah. um, different showbiz people in the Dutch world. And I, I had a few really nice um, relationship stories. Uh, and then when that ended, the same network let me be a presenter on a travel program. Okay. And I got to do a highlight on St. Petersburg, Russia, the Champagne region of France. Uh, Peru was my favorite. Wow. The Dutch Caribbean, Aruba and Curacao. Um, so, you know, when you're on television... You don't really have to visit prostitutes. Sure. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I was still pined over this girl that I had moved there for a while, but I, I, I was not that lonely. Yeah, you know, when you said that, uh, if you saw someone that was entering that area of town, you know, it was kind of frowned upon, right? You kind of go, oh, look, did you see what Jim was doing? I think I saw him on Tuesday. I, uh, for my. My main, you know, my morning show show job, I used to answer phones for the KQ morning show. And we had this woman call in once, and her job was uh, she did a sex line, you know, the, you know, dollar Talking dirty. Talking dirty. So we were talking, this is off the air. I'm just, you know, sitting in my studio talking to her, and I'm asking her a bunch of questions. And I asked her if she had ever... uh, 
if she ever figured out, you know, through someone's voice or anything that she knew who she was talking oh, wow. to. Like, are they, you know, are they local? Are they these calls sent from like a call center in, you know, India from California? Like, I don't know. How are you getting these calls? And she said they were all local. And she found out, she figured out that one of her clients that talked to her every night was her son's pediatrician. Wow. Yeah. She should have got a discount off the medical bills. Oh, no shit. She never brought she it She should have just friend. stopped one. Listen, Doc, uh, my kids' visits are getting pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, right? I could just talk to you dirty. We could get to make the cups and the string. We could do that in the office. <laughs> <laughs> How about instead of $1.99 an hour, you just cover my copay, you know? Perfect. And then um, the, the, the Dutch are... You know, the, they have prostitution and, and uh, light drugs are tolerated because they're such, historically such great business people. You know, they know that it's going to happen. They know people are going to do drugs. They know people are going to go to prostitutes. Yeah. So it's regulated and it's a moneymaker and it's good for tourism. There was some newspaper story that they're closing coffee shops. I always hear yeah. people go, nah, it's, it's horseshit. They're never going to – they minimalized the ones. They got rid of a lot of the scummier criminal ones. Um but along the border cities like um, Belgium and, and Germany, uh, a lot of Germans and Belgians come over and wipe their dicks on the curtains and leave. You know, they come over and they get high and they act ignorant. Yeah. So those laws were really enacted to protect <laughs> the, the rural areas that are on the border places. And the assholes um, that but, try to ruin it for everyone. Right. But but Holland is, um, uh, you know, uh, Amsterdam is, is the largest banking entity in the world. There's all these Coca-Colas based there, the Elvis Presley estate. You oh. two just moved all, you know, and they're so sanctimonious with governments giving up third world debt. Right. And they, a few years ago, moved all their money to be based in Holland so they would pay a lower tax rate. Yeah. But he has, but Bono has no problem coming to the United States. And pointing his finger at what we should be doing. Yeah, no shit. Uh, yeah, and your government could help alleviate third world debt if you paid the proper taxes in your government where you should be. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's a lot of other, you know, uh, major corporations that are that are based there. That um, So they want you to think weed and tulips and windmills, but... Uh, it's. I, I think it's. It's bigger than uh, Switzerland as far as international banking. Now. And how long were you over there? Five years. Five years. And my wife is from Holland, and um, I still go there at least once a year. Is she, is she an example of what the women look like? In, in she Holland? is. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll visit Holland someday. You should. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations, beautiful women in Holland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to do a joke that the women in Holland are beautiful. I'm serious. When I lived there, every once in a while, I would have to go to England just to rest my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Were you doing stand up while you were over there doing all these? uh, uh... Oh yeah, relentlessly. Yeah, yeah. We taped like every other week, so like every other week. um... It was a nightly TV show. No, we would film two a week, and it came on like once a week on Thursday nights. And um, so I had every other week free to to do stand-up, mostly in London. I was going back and forth to London. Uh, But there's cool gigs all over. Um, uh, I think I went and did the Hong Kong tour once. Sometimes I would come back here. I think I came back and did Acme. 
once during that run. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to lose my American comedy sure, muscle. Sure, well, yeah, going here. I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to be forgotten, and I didn't want to uh, fall out of practice. You know, uh, being a comedian is like being a boxer, man. You can't, you can't take time off. Your muscles get flabby. You forget how to keep your gloves up. You forget how to jab and stick. And, and then also playing in different countries is a different... Uh, higher level of, yeah. of comedic consciousness. Yeah, what is what what is it like doing a show in Hong Kong? Is I mean, it, can is the crowd one hundred percent English speaking? I mean, yeah. Well, you're playing there. Jokes there to people, they're just mostly, shaking their head. Uh, there, because <laughs> you do Hong Kong and then there's a China tour, and people go, "Wow, Chinese people, they like your stuff." Friends of mine, they look at my schedule and I go, "Oh yeah." Um, you know, I don't speak Chinese, so I have to come out and step on a rake and get hit in the balls, and they, they just think it's hilarious, but Those big I got to do that over and over in a 45-minute set. It gets a little taxing on the testicles, but no, you're playing for expatriates, yeah, mostly, so it's actually kind of like playing in London. You know, you got people in the audience are from London and Stockholm and Sydney and Dublin and New York, Minneapolis, L.A., everywhere. I mean, we really won the language, won the lottery when it comes to language. Um, And British people love stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And British people are all over the world. Mm -hmm. So there's been these gigs all over the world. But, um, you know, like when I play in Paris, it's expatriates. Um... Not all of it, like Kuala Lumpur. It's dark-skinned local um, Muslim people or Chinese, the ethnic mix there, and there's Indians. Um, You know, there's some places you do and some places you don't. Did you you pick up any other languages when I was traveling? Ah, yeah, Manir. Hail Moy Navent, huh? No, I speak very little Dutch. It's laughable. I I should be... Slapped for how little Dutch I know for as long as I lived there. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we if that was here, we you know we have no problem criticizing uh, you know people that move to the United States. Learn the language, yeah, come on. And then you go somewhere and you're like, hey, well, it's not so easy. Exactly. Speak English, man. You're in America. Yeah. Well, how? What? Uh, did you ever? It always seems like every comedian ends up in L.A. So you ended up in L.A. at some point. I've lived there twice. I lived there uh, once with a sitcom and once without a sitcom. Yeah. The, what was it's the sitcom? It's a much nicer place to live if you have a sitcom. <laughs> what That sitcom, what year was What year was uh, it? 97 to 98. 97 to 98. I believe. Yeah. I was uh, looking uh, online last night. I saw Mr. Rhodes. Yeah, Mr. Rhodes. I saw a picture of... It was a black and white picture of the cast. I was trying to identify everyone besides you. Ron Glass, Stephen Tobolowski. Yes, is that who that was? Yeah, Tobolowski. God, yeah. one of America's greatest actors. He is fantastic. I'm still good friends with him. Yeah. Uh, I have a podcast. It's called Tom Rhodes Radio. Yeah, I was going to get Free on there. iTunes. Yeah. And uh, one of the best episodes I've done so far was the one with him. Because he explained to me all this, uh, a lot of um, uh, political wranglings going on behind the scenes of my sitcom that I had no idea about. Oh, really? And he's a really fascinating, beautiful human being. Yes, I, I'm a huge uh, you know, fan of podcasts, and uh, that's why I host one. And um, I've heard him on, on, on shows. He's a fascinating and guy. His, his health stuff and all these... Uh, yeah, he had uh, like a quadruple bypass a few years ago. Amazing. He's got a, a podcast called The Tobolowski Files, yeah. and he tells stories. There's an episode on there called A Good Day at Auschwitz. Which is is mind blowing. 
absolutely mind-blowing about this Jewish man that he knew when he lived in New York that owned a candy store, and the guy was in Auschwitz. Wow. So how... Uh Oh yeah! So I saw you're doing this. You're doing a podcast on iTunes. The free, free, no commercials, no commercials. It's called Tom Rhodes Radio. Tom Rhodes Radio. Tom Rhodes Radio. How often are you doing that? Um, they're coming out. It was like once a month. Now they're coming out a little, little quicker. About two a month. Yeah. And what, um, where are you doing them? I do them all over the world. Wherever I'm at, I, I uh, just where you run it. Is it just where you run I did, into a buddy? I did a, a one with Dan, Doug Stanhope. I listened to that today. This oh, morning, good. as a matter of fact, only probably about a half an hour of it. Great mushroom story on there with him. <laughs> You're not on Ambien now. I can tell. No, no, he was on Ambien. <laughs> I know. I wasn't. I know, no, I know. Uh, I've never done this stuff, but uh, I don't always sleep so well. I'd like to get a hold of some. Uh, I've done Brian Regan and uh, Arge Barker's coming on soon. I did one with Steve Hicks, Bill Hicks's brother. That's coming on soon. Oh wow! Yeah. So you have some in the, in the can, just waiting on. Yeah. Put them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got about ten in the can. That. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I mean, I slice in clips of stand-up, um, audio clips from uh, movies. Um, I did one with Dana Gould, and we talked about aliens. I'm. Uh, I think I'll be talking to him in the next month or so. He's coming to act. I saw that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dana's a great guy. You can talk to him about anything. Yeah, he's I'm uh, to that. a wide range of knowledge. He's a he's a a wizard of great power. <laughs> and um, I always was kind of obsessed with aliens, and I knew he had an interest in it. And I had heard this thing on NPR about this woman that wrote a book about Area Fifty One, mm-hmm. and that uh, the the Russians, when War of the Worlds came on, the radio broadcast, what was that, 1939, something like that, um, a lot of Americans committed suicide because they thought an actual alien attack was happening. Right. So the Russians were fascinated by this. So they made, um, like, UFO things, and they took orphaned, uh, deformed children and mutated them somehow— they did these experiments on like orphan children, um, yeah, and then they crash landed them in New Mexico, wanting America to like have mass suicides. But what? apparently, and so that that's like this was so anyway. So we talk about it, and then I took that clip from NPR where the woman is talking about this. <laughs> so it takes a while. To to edit these things, sure. you know? are you doing that yourself? No, no, my I've got two different good people working yeah. now. That's why they're coming out a little quicker. Okay, because the one guy, uh, he's a comedian friend of mine in L.A. and he's got a job and he can only you know and he's married. He can only pump him out as quick as he can. So sure, sure. How was the? Uh, I didn't ask this. How was the show last night here? Blistering. Yeah, like I said, you well, you, you know this stage is. Oh my god, it just feels so good on your feet. It's yeah. the perfect height. Uh the the best comedy rooms are subterranean uh with low ceilings and it's dark. Yeah. And I mean, look at the chairs. They're they're comfortable. The 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 chairs that the audience sit in. Brand new this year, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um and I mean, it's just it's just perfectly it's it's just the perfect comedy club. You know, it's almost like uh, being in the club at Acme here is almost like being at a house party, except you have to behave a little better. Yeah, and it just got it like a kind of a wine cellar cave feel to it. I don't know what those stones are called. The those are sandstone or what, but 
uh, it's just got a it's got a great feel. And and then you know, like I actually I talked to Arj Barker mm-hmm. um, a few weeks ago. And we were talking after we did my little podcast. And hey, where are you coming up? And he, he, we both said Acme. Yeah. And and I was talking to him about Acme. We had a little uh, we love Acme comedy company moment. Nice. And you know he said you know the thing I like about that room is you know you can you can try new material there. So you know a lot of times when you're the headliner and you're playing certain places and like the mic is kind of shabby or. Uh, just the, the the room isn't so quaint and cozy. You know, you don't. A lot of times, you don't have time to go four wheeling, to go off the road and go. You know, ripping off into yeah. the wilderness of your brain. And you know, this is one of the places where you know, in somewhere in your headliner set, you know, you this audience is smart here, and it's such a luxury to play in front of a smart audience. Where um, yeah, I did some little uh, different hunk last night that um it, you know it got an okay laugh yeah but- i you know i don't mind when you know even when it's obvious that you know like a, a a known comedian a headliner throws in something and it doesn't really get a laugh and the, when they address it and go well i got three quarters of a joke there i that that that's funny to me that's interesting right I, and that then you see the seedlings i mean like I, I saw chris rock a lot of times in at the comedy cellar in new york oh, yeah. and the improv in la Go on at the end of the night, sitting in the stool with his notebook, uh, his legal pad rather, and and doing jokes that were half thought out, and then two years later seeing those bits done with the confidence, the panther prowl, yeah, yeah. and then he had polished it and worked it out. I'm like, oh wow, I remember when he threw that idea out and nobody laughed, yeah, and he shrugged and moved on to something else, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's not like that here. You wouldn't. Uh, I, I think it'd be very unprofessional. Yeah, no, there's to a... pull out a notebook at Acme unless it was open mic night. Yeah, that's one of the. You're, yeah, exactly. Monday if you're the headliner here, uh, please memorize your shit. Yeah, uh, I played the cover charge. You know, <laughs> the least you can do. Exactly. Yeah, they don't. They don't need to hand out free tickets for this place. So people paid to get in. It's a perennial. Damn right. It's yeah, a Monday institution. nights is the, Monday nights is a amateur night. That's when you try that stuff out. But I've one of the few. I don't. Unlike you, I haven't traveled much in my life uh, at all. Um, but I have been to uh, the have comedy you been to Duluth. I lived in Duluth in college, so I've been there. Look out, international right here, Duluth, Minnesota. But I have been to New York and the and I visited the Comedy Cellar and. It, so I, yeah, I know that there's a huge difference between what you know people are doing on stage there versus here. When it's you know, I mean, the night I went, I'm sure it's, it, I'm sure that's the norm there. You know, there's like six headliners, right? And they're each doing what, ten, fifteen minutes, maybe even less, right? Yeah, and uh, they're not all not all the jokes were funny. You know, you could tell that they were trying things out. Yeah, and that place can be rough too. You get like a real international audience, and um, uh, I mean, I've played there when it was like. Eighty percent Swedish people. Oh wow! And then, you know whose who's, who's English was okay, or just like a, a whole mix of of world people. But they, don't they do shows in the, like the middle of the night there? Yeah, and then you go. It goes until like three in the morning or two in the morning or something. And that place, you know, it's it's uh, in the in the it's a real postage stamp size stage. Uh, that place I always love, and comedians all love it. You know, you go there and 
you just do it at the end of the night after you've done sets all over the city. And I like to describe the comedy cellar. Um, do you remember the original Rocky? Yeah. The first Rocky movie? Um, when his brother-in-law or the the, the Adrian's brother, yeah. um, Burt Ward or whatever his name was, yeah, the actor. Yeah, yeah. He worked at the meet packing plant that's right and he let rocky go into the freezer and they had all this like meat hanging from meat hooks the cows use it as a punching bag and he just used it as a punching bag and he's just like he's punching this raw meat and you can hear the ribs cracking and he's getting blood all over his knuckles and he's just punching raw meat that's what playing at the comedy cellar is like it's not like in a ring with rules you know, like yeah. like a professional, like a. <laughs> There's no referee. Uh, yeah, you it's like to do or not. You to know, do. it's just punching raw meat, man. That's a great analogy. They ought to put that on a um, poster out there. How many? Uh, you were talking about. You know, we've been talking about new material, old material. You have a. Uh, did I see? How how new is the newest Tom Rhodes CD? Uh, it just came out earlier this year. It's called Colossus of Me. Colossus of Me. Get it. And uh, Tom Rhodes, uh, and it's a two CD uh, thing. It's I had uh, it's one is uh, me live in Los Angeles at the Ice House, mm-hmm. and then the other disc is live in Sydney, Australia, at the Comedy Store, okay. which is one of my favorite uh, rooms in the world. And so I had done the, I think the Ice House. Uh, Los Angeles one is like 57, 58 minutes, and then the Sydney one is like an hour 15. I had done the L.A. recording, and I thought, okay, this is my next CD. I got it. Yeah. And then like three months later, I went to Sydney, and I did this phenomenal show, and there was all these international people in the audience, and I got out all these international stories about traveling or my jokes about certain places. Um, and, uh, And I thought, well, what the heck? It only costs fifty cents more each copy yeah. to make a double. <laughs> so why the hell not? So why not? So I mean, there's some overlap on the material, but it's uh, it's different. Uh, there's a, a lot of different stuff on there. Oh, that's really cool. So and I just did an hour special uh, that'll be coming out on Netflix uh, in a few months called Light Sweet Crude, and that's all the same uh, material that's. Uh, I mean, but that's only like 55, 56 minutes, whatever the um, special length is. So, I mean, there is some different material on the CD. But basically where this long story is going is I have to come up with a new hour now. It's time. Yeah. It's time. How many How many uh, CDs are in the... Uh... Three. You've done three? I've done three. You've a done Hot three. Sweet Ass, Live in Paris, and Colossus of Me. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I got uh, Minneapolis, San Francisco, Seattle, Seoul, Korea, then Jakarta uh, as my next stops on my tour. And then, really? Yeah, and then I'll be in Los Angeles for the end of November. Um, I'm going to spend more time in, in California next year, still play places I love to play. Yeah. Do you want to get on TV again? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not... In a sitcom, I don't think. Well, if I did a sitcom, I would prefer to be the second banana. Yeah. Second banana gets all the jokes. Second banana comes in, joke, 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 exit. You're right. The star of a program, like I was, has to carry the plot like an albatross from scene to scene. Right. And shrug and react. (laughs) Tom reacts. I don't know how many 
People would say shitty things to me about my hair. Hey, Fabio. Hey, cream rinse. And then the script would say, Tom reacts. How many times can you shrug, you know? <laughs> I'm Tom watching you react. Do it. You're pretty good at shrugging. Yeah. I've seen better, but pretty good. Did you like the show? Were you happy with it? It started out uh, good, yeah. and then uh, it became a children's show. Too corny or what? They moved the. They got older kids after like episode three, and the focus became all about the students. Oh, so crap on them. It's okay. Hey, I had a sitcom named after me. Not many people on the planet have ever had their own show named after Hell them. Hell no. So it's, that, no, you know. And I lived in the Hollywood Hills, and I made a lot of money. And um, I looked at that money as my NBC artist grant. And I moved to New York after that, and that led to me moving to Europe. I never would have had the life that I had in Europe if that show would have lasted. Yeah, so that was first. So well, that's a great stepping stone. Though. Yeah, hell yeah. So yeah, I don't regret anything. Yeah, and I love playing all over the world. It was all in that post sitcom experience that I, you know, cut my hair. Moved I've, to New I York. saw some of those pictures. And then, how uh, long were you doing the long hair? Ten years. Yeah, yeah. Do you miss it? Mm. I miss the expressiveness of. Of, like, putting your fingers through your bangs after you make a statement. Right. <laughs> or, like, the little hair flip off off the neck. Yeah. Uh. You know, just the hair shake. Uh-huh. But, um... You get to use less shampoo and conditioner now. Yeah. Yeah. Save money on that. Haircuts. I suppose you pay more for haircuts because you get more... I had the long hair briefly when I was, uh, you know, in college, smoked a ton of weed and, you know... Yeah, man, I thought I was Crazy Horse. I thought I was Jim Morris. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then... The sitcom there. Hey, Fabio. Like, no. Hey. Hey, Kenny G. What happened to Led Zeppelin? Yeah, no shit. Call yeah. me Robert Plant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Kenny G. <laughs> Assholes. But I have a very good life. I get to travel the world and um, you know, I'm in the I'm I'm in a real nice pocket of really cool gigs right now. Yeah. Well, Just did like Chicago, it. Madison, Minneapolis, San Francisco, Seattle, going to Performance Seoul, Korea for the first time. Wow. And then... Um, what do you... Uh, what do you, If you weren't doing this right now today, what, do, what would you be doing? I mean, you have your wife and Tom with you. What would you guys be doing? Like tomorrow, you probably have the day off or Friday. What do you do to spend time in these cities you don't live I in? am uh, going to go speak at McAllister University tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Uh, this guy contacted me. I've had this on the books for, I don't know, six months. And about three or four months ago... This guy, some professor at McAllister, contacted me, and um, he's got all international students, and he's had different speakers come in through the years, Yeah, and he uh, saw that I was playing at Acme. He had read my, my bio and my story and seen clips, so he wants me to come in and speak to his international students about what it's like to be a comedian who travels the world plays internationally holy crap that's really cool yeah and i was supposed he's gonna uh, i was supposed to meet him earlier um but he's he's gonna come before the show tonight and we're gonna talk about um you know what exactly he wants me to talk about tomorrow so as of now and then all these international students are gonna come to the club tomorrow night oh that's cool yeah i don't know 50 60 of them or something like that yeah they've got a bus (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's cool. I really like being that guy. I like yeah. I like being the guy who's got this knowledge that that people are interested yeah, in. Yeah, that, hey, that you know, it's I mean being a comedian's great 
And uh, it's not easy, you know. You, you start out in the Midwest. I started out on the Southern Circuits. And then to break out of that, and then when you get nationwide, I mean, it takes a while to build up to that. No kidding. And then that was one of my first goals in comedy was I just want to headline all the cities. Mm-hmm. And then I got that. And then, you know, and after the television stuff, I was um, really interested in, 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 in seeing the world and seeing what gigs there are. Unfortunately, there's tons of gigs all over the world. Great gigs. Have you ever done the cruise ship thing? Is never. That part of the, no. Never. Yeah. No. No. No interest. So when you're traveling, never even been on a cruise ship. Okay. You just I don't, I don't even. Question. I don't even want to be a passenger on a cruise ship. You should actually. Fine. I wanted to you take. A, I wanted to take an Italian cruise, but I can't figure out which coast I want to crash into. <laughs> that, was, that was a that was a, a joke that had one week shelf life. Oh, <laughs> the guy's name is Scatino, so I remember that. Right, much. right, right, right. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. We're on the same page here. Um, I recommend uh, cruises. I've been on a total of one, and I loved it. Really? Just for the record. Mm. But I didn't go to the comedy show. I imagined it probably sucked. Hmm. Uh, uh, let's say I let's uh, for, let's say I've got a big pile of money. Where should I go? Where should I go vacation for Rome? Week? Rome? Why? Uh, the food is incredible. The city is incredible. Um, don't go in the summertime. It's too hot. The lines are too long. Go in April or September. April, preferably. Specifically, the week of April 21st is... I got lucky. My wife, it's her favorite city. I like Paris. Paris mm-hmm. is my city. Okay. Love Paris. I would say after Rome, that would be the number two choice. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of people hate the French because the media has told us to hate the French, but right. it's ridiculous because we never would have gained our independence from the French or from the British without the French blockade of the Battle of Yorktown. Um, and how can you not like the people who gave the world the bikini and lingerie? Damn right. So anyway, I'm a big Paris fan. <laughs> my wife loves Rome. Uh, we were just there a few months ago in the middle of my European tour. I had a week off, and we rented an apartment by the Vatican uh, for a week, which was phenomenal. Wow. But when we went two years earlier, it was the week of April 21st. And April 21st is Rome's birthday. So all of the museums are free including the Colosseum. So that's a big expense that you're not going to have to pay. And school hasn't let out yet, and it's it's the, the lines aren't long. Uh, they're just regular, you know, lines. Um, and then the weather's perfect. It's, it's not hot. Yeah. Um, we went, what was it, June, and it was just starting to get hot, this last visit. I mean, it was still great. It was in the, it was like 80... 82 for most of the week and then like the last two days it had gotten in the 90s and it was it's pretty hot but the food is incredible the wine is incredible uh just walking around the city there's just so much art and statues and uh my wife and i are really into caravaggio and just you know you can go into just there's the french church there's little churches that have caravaggio paintings in them and just ancient statues and i mean jesus christ just to go there and get a gelato and stand in front of uh the 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 trevi fountain is worth the the plane ticket yeah. and then also you know you're 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 in line getting the you know you should try not to eat more than 3 gelatos a day it's difficult it, it's so freaking good i know it is and then you're in line you're in rome you're in line 
behind like two Franciscan monks in their way, and they got their like brown robe on with the rope yeah. belt. Oh yeah, and they're getting. I saw the- a guy in Minneapolis the other day walking down the street like that. I think he was lost. I can only assume. Maybe, maybe looking for a gelato. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> the, What's he, wrong with this town? He was at the end of a line somewhere. <laughs> I never saw the beginning. <laughs> where would you? Uh, where would you say to, to never go? That you've gone and would never go back? Ooh, uh, 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 I'd say skip Duluth. I've never been to Duluth. <laughs> I wanted to before I came because I drove in. I wanted to go see Bob Dylan's town, but um, I just um, decided to come straight here instead. Yeah. Next time, you should. You need to go in the summer. Don't yeah. yeah. I would say skip Dubai. Yeah? Not a big fan. No. Did, have you, when's the last, how recent was that? I don't trip? know, 10 years ago. Oh, so it was before the big giant. And I went to the water slide park, um, Wild Wadi or whatever it's called, um, something uh, it's just, just shopping malls. It's just you know desert shopping malls. Lots of Kentucky Fried Chickens. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I didn't see it. Um, I don't. Know. I went on the little river on a boat. Um, uh, don't know. The big I'd rather go to Morocco, there, uh, which I've never been. Um, I don't know. I'd say skip that one. Will do. Did you? Uh, do you do voiceover? I don't. Sounds... I would love it if anybody's listening to this. I don't. I would love to get into voiceover. Who do you sound like? Because I saw. I mean, I've you know, I've heard your act. You know, I've heard some of your act. I've, you know, for listening to podcasts, but your voice sounds like I've heard it someplace else. Hmm. Maybe it's someone that sounds like you. You should be doing voiceovers. What I'm saying. I would love to do voiceovers. And um, if you know of anybody, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anybody. I would like but, uh, it. You should be. I think. All right. Hey, I brought some uh, really stupid questions to ask Okay, you great. Because we uh, are running out of time. This is something... Uh, well, I'm just going to read this to you. If you think success is all about effort, you've got... Uh, uh, here's a list that might change your mind. Uh, here are three random things that determine how successful you are in your career. All right? So I want to get your... Uh, okay. You know, what do you think about these? Number one is your face, but not just how good-looking you are. A study at Duke found that a mature-looking face makes you... Look more competent, which makes you more likely to get a job, but that study mainly involved CEOs who were white. A separate study found that if you're black, you're more uh, likely to be successful if you have a baby face. So in other words, everyone's racist, and if you're African-American, being baby-faced makes you less intimidating to white people. I think you might have a point there, sir. (laughs) Let's name names. Who's a black person with a... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Mm. Your name. Research has shown you're less likely to be hired or promoted if your name is hard to pronounce. Tom. Tom. Rhodes. Rhodes. Piece of cake. Is that you? Didn't have to change your name. Oh, right? that's yeah. my real name. Tom Rhodes. Thomas Rhodes. Real, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Tom. Kind of made for. There's a. Made I've, for uh, I'm, I'm on Google alerts for when Tom Rhodes. Well, there's a lot of Tom Rhodes. <laughs> There's a journalist in Africa. Yeah, does like a- uh, he does war reporting. Uh, there's a dude in England who writes about like soccer matches. Is there a musician? There's or a musician named Tom Rhodes. Yeah. Um, it's like in the Little Prince uh, when the guy has he loves his rose and then he goes to this planet. And there's all these other roses. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, I wasn't the only one. There's a lot of roses. <laughs> is there a third one here? Oh, and here I, this one I want to get. Uh, the third key to success is how popular you were in high school. 
In one study, researchers had kids list the top three most popular kids in their class. Then 35 years later, researchers checked back. Uh, the top 15% in popularity were making an average of 10% more than everyone else. Well, wow. How were you in high school? I was very popular. Yeah? Yeah, because I'm from a little town outside of Orlando called Oviedo. And it was a really small town. I think my uh, my high, my senior graduating class was, I'm God, I don't know, four hundred people. I, I think four ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. And I wanted to, everybody knew I wanted to be a comedian, so I got all the I got to host all the pep rallies. I got to host all the talent shows. This is like my junior senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did the morning and afternoon announcements. And then when I was in 11th grade, I started doing, uh, going to a nightclub to do comedy. So, like, a lot of the kids would come with the fake IDs to see me. Sweet. You know, and I was starting out. I mean, yeah. I was really, you know, a green rookie. And I was doing the jokes, the thoughts of a 17-year-old. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the fact that I was the go-to guy to host pep rallies in the talent show or the talent shows and the afternoon announcements in this small school and that I was in this nightclub world, I, I was definitely oh, you were totally very, very popular. Campus. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play sports? No time for sports. Uh, yeah, I played shit. baseball until my senior year when um, I got a D in French and that kept me off the varsity team. Fuckers. Yeah. But, yeah, now I played junior French. varsity and, you know, and uh, I, I, was, I was on the varsity team for like half a year. Yeah. Now you got a D in France, and now you've been to France. Well, that's it. I've done a story, a joke about it. I got a D. It kept me off the baseball team. And the first love of my adult life was with a Parisian woman, mm-hmm. and I lived with her in San Francisco for seven years, Natalie. And the first time I went to Paris, uh, Natalie got sick one night, and I went out by myself. She's from the Bastille area. It's where her mother lives. It's the Greenwich Village of Paris. Mm-hmm. And there's a street there, the Rue de Lap, with all these bars on it. And I went to some bar called Some Girls that only played Rolling Stones music. I just found it. Mm-hmm. I had the time of my life. And I left like, you know, one in the morning. And it's raining, this thin Parisian street. And these two guys are walking towards me. And um, the guy, one guy jams me in the stomach with this metal pole. And it's two against one. I looked at the this the second guy. Well, this one guy starts beating me with the pole, but it was winter, and I had a big coat on, and it didn't hurt that bad. And I looked at to see what the other guy was doing, and when I looked at him, he maced me. Holy shit. Right in the eyes. I've been maced in the city of love. <laughs> and I freaked out, and I wailed my arms, and I broke free, and I'm just, and you have no idea how excruciatingly painful being maced is. Right. And I'm just blinded in all this pain, and I'm just I just broke away, and I'm running as fast as I can, and everything is a blur and pain shooting in my eyes. And um, I looked back, and I yelled, "Enchanté," which means "nice to meet you." <laughs> Can't believe I got a D in that fucking class, man. I mean, I got to apply my French on the streets of Paris. <laughs> yeah, you did. I bet there were kids who got A's who never got to apply their shit on the streets of Paris. Hell no. You know? <laughs> so, thanks, Mrs. Lee. Yeah. Bitch whore. <laughs> Tom, thank you. Get to where you need to go. And, thanks, uh, man. Did the twins have a song? Uh, Yeah, it's awful. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, no, you know this. Well, you don't know it. I want to hear it. Let's hear it. We're gonna win, twins. We're gonna score. We're gonna win, twins. Watch that baseball soar. Knock out a home run. Shout a hip hooray. Cheer for the Minnesota Twins today. All right. Cool. Because we they lost today. <laughs> we went to see the Cubs, and what was their uh, go Cubs go? Go Cubs, go. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are going to win today. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball songs are hilarious. All right, They're Justin, the you're the man. Shalom, amigo. We'll see you again. All right, friend. All right, thank Res- you. Respect. Yes.